street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Epistemic, what is it, number nine now. We're doing a, a late night version today, uh, just due, some, due to some uh, scheduling uh, issues. But hey, we're all, we're all good now. So what's up, everybody? How's it going? Going good, man. Yeah, we were supposed to do this, I think, earlier today. And then somebody had a flight, I guess. <laughs> I didn't realize that was going on for today. So we, yeah. we decided to back a few hours rather than reschedule it completely. And I'm really glad that we were able to do that. And I'm doing fine. Glad to be here. Cool. cool. We also have Pete with us. So, Pete, how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah. I've been watching you guys. Science, Pete. Not What's just or, not just ordinary Pete. Science, Pete. Science, mm -hmm. Pete. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that uh, I, I've I think we've probably been on Blab a few times, but shit, that was a year and a half or so ago. So yeah, it's been a while. while. It's been a while since we've actually. Uh, chatted face to face like this uh so it's good uh it was good times back then hopefully it'll be good times tonight rest <laughs> in peace rest in peace blab good uh, times baby good times <laughs> i like blab blab was cool so yeah i just got in from a flight uh, yeah came where, from where, were you, where were you coming in from can you disclose it? uh naples florida where my where my family is I was just spending extra time with the family after the holidays, relaxing. But good to be back now. Back to the grindstone. Are you going to be doing some more uh, filming? Some more SE talks? Totally, yeah. I'll try and do some on Sunday. I'm actually going to be talking uh, with, uh, doing a talk, like a short, uh, like five-minute talk during the Sunday Assembly in Los Angeles on Sunday about oh, street epistemology. Cool. That's so cool. It's five minutes, like the community moment thing. Yeah, it's like uh, doing your best type of uh, type of section. So that should be fun. I think I'm going to try to like have some highlight clips of just my conversations uh, playing in the background on the stage, on the projector. That should be fun. Oh, as I'll people, and, yeah, as, as people are listening and just yeah, that's a good idea. I'll try and get a copy of the of the video because there should be filming it as well. I might post it on my channel. How many people go to those Sunday assemblies? There's usually uh, a lot. Yeah, ones it, you text. it ranges around, you know, like seventy-five to a hundred. Oh well. Wow. But we're expanding That's now a to a second a second location here in Los Angeles, one on the west side now, in like in a few oh, wow. weeks. I've been to it's ones cool. in, I've been to ones in Houston and Austin. The Houston one usually has 80 people, and the Austin one's a little smaller, maybe 40 or 50 at the most, I think. But yeah, they seem to be growing. Yeah, they're fun. I have yet to attend one. I may consider finding one in the New York area. I'm sure they, they must have them over here too, but um, I haven't done my due diligence as to seeking them out yet. Anybody else doing anything fun since the last time, two weeks ago? 
Let's see. Well, we've released the logo. We have the new logo uh, that came out. It's not on. I'm not wearing it. I'm wearing something different. But uh, yeah, the new. There it is. Uh, Joe's showing it right there. We got the new street epistemology logo that was created by Dr. Pratik Lala. His uh, design was voted amongst all the others that were there, and we tweaked it a little bit more since the since the vote. And there you go. And it's available now. <laughs> on, you can actually get merchandise with a you know coffee cup or a mouse pad. I have exactly. these little that I bought. I don't have them handy. And it's cool. It's really cool to see it, like a logo, like a formal logo. And to have, have an official SE gift shop too. Yeah. Yeah. To the way to get to the gift shop, I'll put a link in the show notes here. But if you type in tinyurl.com forward slash buy SE stuff. That will take you to a page on our on a website called Evolve Fish, and you can see the stuff that's there. There's only a few items there right now, but there will be more. And the other thing that's going on is I'm getting ready to head to Oslo, Norway. Uh, that's coming up in two weeks. I'll be flying there to give a talk on street epistemology at a bookstore in Oslo in January. So wow. I think it's going to be pretty It'll be pretty cold, but we're going to record that too. That will be recorded. And my idea there is to, rather than give a presentation on what street epistemology is, I want to turn it into almost like a tutorial. So my talk will be instructional on how to conduct SE from the very, very start to the very, very end. Uh, sort of with the idea of either complementing the tutorials that are out there or completely replacing them because so much has, has been learned. Uh, by us going out and other people going out and talking and yeah i think i think a little bit more of an updated step by step here's the 15 things that are instrumental in making uh, having an effective talk with somebody using se mm -hmm. so that was my talk and i've got the slides done but i haven't really i need to kind of get my notes down and practice it a few times but very, is there a particular organization that's sponsoring you seems like a pretty expensive trip it is an expensive trip, but the uh, I had a fundraiser about four months ago to raise money for this trip, the trip that I did in Manchester, England, and two other trips coming up. And within three days, I think it was, we raised over $5,000 for that, which is oh. incredible. Well, yeah. So this so Oslo trip. Anybody who yeah. wants you to speak could pretty much get you for free if you have enough funds in that I wouldn't go that far. I, I, I would first ask the organization if you have the funds to cover travel for myself or even you read if you wanted to go somewhere mm. or anybody else. It would be a nice gesture if you can cover the travel. But for these four events, I, I suspected going into it that the expenses wouldn't be covered. So that's why I did the fundraiser. Um, interestingly, the third, the third of those four, uh, I'm nearly <laughs> I'm this close to being able to publicly announce what that is. But I just can't do it just yet. But I think it's going to be really exciting once we have that. So probably by the next show, if not sooner, I'll be able to announce what that is. Sweet. And I'm sure the funds from all of the merchandise will help, um, you know, fund our some more trips as well. So. Yeah, and to be clear, I should have mentioned anything that we well, if we sell something on Evolve Fish, that money is being held at our request because we don't have a formal organization yet to receive those funds. So they're holding onto that money, and then uh, there's an effort underway to establish an organization. This is big news, actually. We probably should have led with this, but oh yeah, uh, kind of reaching the point now where we need to have some sort of entity 
for fiscal transparency and sort of to legitimize what we're doing. And uh, so we're creating a street epistemology org. And once we have that established, then the funds that this website for selling merchandise is holding will eventually go to that organization. So th that, that doesn't go to us. That will eventually go to an organization where we'll be able to present reports to show where all this money is coming and going. Oh man, SE org as in C org. I, I yeah, it's a horrible. It's, it's very close. That's not good. Somebody My said, uh, well, one of the guys <laughs> worked suggested foundation like SEF, you know, uh, Street Epistemology Foundation. Foundation. Uh, that being said, we do own streetepistemology.org, but yeah, C org is just a horrible, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Association. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, we should be working on that and getting that up within the coming months. Or what's the timeline for that? You think for the organization for the foundation? I think it's pretty realistic to think probably by the end of the first quarter of eighteen of this year, it should be done. I mean, as soon as we can get a big, you know, cruise ship, you know, we're, we're set. <laughs> we already have the uniforms. We just need yeah. the ship. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of magnets. So please, uh, <laughs> please get get working on that, guys. Yeah. What else do we got going on? Let's talk about our, let's, let's bring our guest in here. He stayed up late for us. Thank you. I did. This is like beyond my bedtime, <laughs> but, uh, oh, you know, for good purpose. We really, we really appreciate it. We, no, we've been wanting to get on for a while. I know that you've been, you've been monitoring the street epistemology journey community. You know, we, I think we've, I think we've come a far away and you've been there since very early on and probably since, I don't know, I've, 15 or so at least somewhat aware of it and on the periphery yeah i mean uh i did not i guess I, I, this makes me a statistic of maybe reed's poll or whoever's poll was that uh how did we hear about peter bogosian's book it was probably through you that i heard about it in the first place um but uh i've never so i guess when blab uh started I was doing a little bit of SE on Blab with some of our fellow, fellow colleagues on there, um, but I have not yet ventured out into the public domain to uh, really do like face-to-face -face SE on the street mm -hmm. like you guys do. Um, but I have definitely been a spectator from the sidelines of you and Reed um, and have been trying to figure out ways on how to perfect the craft um, one, I guess, early technique that I was working on with, um, well, actually, I should back up a little bit. Uh, so for people who don't know me, um, I have a scientific background, uh, a PhD in molecular genetics and microbiology, or biopharmaceutical scientist now. Um, and I've always been interested in the role that, uh, how SE is essentially like taking the scientific method and sort of cramming it into a conversation with someone to kind of educate their critical th thinking uh, faculties a little bit, right? Um, so I've always been interested from a sort of a scientific point of view on how uh, SE can be used as a way to really sort of open up a person's mind. What ways can we tweak it? What controls can we use to sort of, sort of get the most out of the, the whole process? Um, so one of the earlier techniques that I, I had read a paper that explored, um, 
stress levels in individuals who refer to themselves in the third person versus people who uh, refer to stressful situations in the, uh, in the first person. Mm -hmm. And they found that people who respond in the third person actually display lower uh, stress hormones. So it's like really interested in this right now. Yeah. And they, so it's essentially, you know, you come home from work, you say, Oh, I had a really stressful day today. The boss was on me. Uh, nothing was going well, as opposed to saying, uh, Peter had a really stressful day today, or Peter's boss was really coming down on him, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the thinking was that referring to yourself in the third person sort of dissociates you yourself from the emotions of what had happened in the event that could create the stress for you. So I guess during the Blab days, we had sort of experimented with this, me and, and Doug Pine Creek, who's probably watching. Um, kind of putting together this format of interviewing people who were like diehard theists. And then, especially if they were ones who would talk very fast, you know, they're just quickly, you know, reciting Bible verses. They, uh, you know, you can't get a word in edgewise with them. Yeah, that's it's, the most noticeable thing is the, is the reduction in the words per minute. It just goes, it just plummets when plummets. people do this. Exactly. Um, so essentially we'd say, listen, let's, let's, let's stop here. Let's, let's try an experiment. Can you tell me, can you pretend, give me a friend of yours that maybe thinks differently from you? Someone that knows you really well. If they are an atheist, that'd be even better. Uh, and they'll like name somebody and they'll say, okay, you are that person. I'm going to refer to you as that person. And I'm going to talk to you as that person about you. So if the person's name is Joe and their friend is Bill, I'd say, so Bill, tell me about Joe. And then they would respond to you as, well, Joe went throughout, you know, went his day on his day today, or Joe believes this, or Joe believes that. And and Reed is right. We saw that um, the words per minute dramatically decreased because they were now focused on being outside of themselves, being another person. Uh, and we also were able to get them to say things that they normally would not say in the first person. So we would ask someone, well, can you imagine what it would like if a God didn't exist? And they would say, oh, I, I can't even go there. I can't even go there. But if they do it in the third person, it's like, oh, yeah, God doesn't exist. Well, you know, they, they, they could just go on and on and on. It didn't matter to them. Um, so anyways, I, I'm going on, uh, on and on about this. I think I remember seeing a few of those, actually, yeah. too. And I was, I was interested as well watching people slow down. They were slowing down. They Sometimes they'd forget their role. And Doug, or you, you would have to remind them, okay, you're not. Pete, you're actually Joe, right. and and they'd have to reset and think. And yeah, it was it was interesting to watch that. And at getting into the to the question of you know why do you believe what you believe, I found that in doing that exercise with individuals, we actually did get to the reason why they believe. Like we found the a clear sort of picture of what it was like when they became a believer, what stage of their life they were in, what things they were experiencing in their life that led them to the belief when. If you were just talking to them in the first person, um, they were, you know, it was more fanciful, I guess, of how they came to their faith. It wasn't very realistic. Yeah, I'm wondering if we could see, a, we could probably see a recent example that I'm probably on Doug's channel, I would imagine. I think he's even done that recently, or not, maybe not recently, but I remember seeing a video on his channel, you know, post blab of him yeah, doing I'll be, that. I'll be sure to put a card up at the top, wherever, they, wherever yeah. that is. 
So, so Doug, if you're watching, uh, yeah, let us know what video you'd like us to put there. So we can, we called that, we named it SE 3.0, uh, not because there's a 2.0 <laughs> yet, but it's in the third person. So we just figured we just jumped to three. <laughs> yeah, that's neat. Yeah, that, that's cool. So yeah, you've been watching sort of, the, you don't necessarily perform SE. I do a little bit maybe on Blab, in the Blab days, but you're more like watching and experimenting, participating and experimenting. And I, and I remember you, you were on a, a community hangout that I watched and you had a suggestion that was really interesting. The second I heard it, I was like, I'm going to go out and do that and give that a try. And I think I even messaged you or tweeted at you or something to, to tell you that I was going to give it a try. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that was? And like, how did you even think of this idea too? I think it would be interesting. Yeah. So, um, so you're referring to what we now know as the Ferrari uh, experiment. Um, so um, Joe, the producer here and I, uh, we talk regularly. Joe's a good friend. And um, Joe, uh, one critique that I've heard from many in the SE world is that, um, you know, SE is somehow perceived as um, a, a way of promoting atheism. And I never really saw SE as that. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I can understand why believers would see that because we're constantly going to the topic of, of faith right away. Is there a God? How do you know this God exists? Yeah. What's that? Well, supernatural, yeah, supernatural stuff, faith, God, definitely. Exactly. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I can understand where all of a sudden, when the first thing you're doing from the beginning is challenging somebody's God belief, they're immediately going to think, all right, well, this is just some sort of atheism propaganda. So I was thinking of ways that you could utilize the SE method, but not have to touch on, on the God subject, but yet still have the same effect, get the same results, um, you know, as if you were talking about the God subject. The other reason I was thinking about this was, uh, gets kind of back to sort of the ideas behind the SE 3.0 premise, is that um, I was, I've always been interested, uh, I've always believed that a lot of um, people's attachment to faith is rooted in emotion. And if you can dissociate the, their, the person's emotion to the subject, then you're more likely to uh, have them engage the rational centers of their brain as opposed to the emotional centers. So uh, with a topic like God or faith, those are highly emotionally charged subjects. Uh, and, and when you're asking questions about them, regardless of how uh, you know, how the, the questions drive them into focusing on, on the validity of those claims, the emotional nature of it really sort of clouds the environment for them. It becomes a real struggle for them to sort of think outside the box. But if you give them a topic where they would likely have no emotional attachment to, you're more likely to allow them to engage their rational centers and sort of separate them from their emotional centers of the brain. Now, there are caveats. You could come across someone who uh, you know, is a car fanatic and just loves Ferraris, or uh, Joe had brought up, well, what, if, what if someone you know, has a family member that died in a horrific Ferrari accident or something like that? <laughs> uh, you know, th then there could be an emotional attachment to it as well. Uh, so, so there's that. And then there's a third element of it, 
haven't actually described the method if people don't know or not. But the third element is that uh, is that the, the subject matter is something that is extraordinary, but not beyond uh, comprehension or or something that we could easily visualize in our mind. So, um, or even uh, insult, or even insult somebody. Like for for example, you know, we might pick a, an example of, you know, we use Bigfoot or a, a magic fairy in the sky. This is this is an example that probably wouldn't insult the person as well. Sure. Yeah. So um, and also I have no evidence for this, but uh, I somehow believe that um, the more imaginative the the claim is, like I have Carl Sagan had the the, the dragon in the garage. I think others have said something like I, I have a nuclear missile in my backyard or something like that. Uh, I somehow think that the more imagine the more you have to imagine this thing. Uh, the more likely you are to engage uh, in emotional thought as uh, instead of rational thought. Um, so I figured something like a Ferrari um, would is something easy to imagine. Everyone has probably seen a picture or heard of the name Ferrari, or it's not it's not out of the realm of someone never even knowing what a Ferrari is. Um, but yet it's rare enough where it's likely that you know, the claim of me or you or somebody owning a Ferrari, the probability of that being true, uh, just based on the numbers and the numbers of the cars and the population is, is fairly low. So it would require some extraordinary evidence to convince someone that you do need, that you do own the Ferrari indeed. So, um, so yeah, so, they, so the, the idea was to have this Ferrari set the claim that, um, you know, the claim is I own a Ferrari, gauge their confidence on that, and then walk them through different evidences that could suggest possibly that you do own the Ferrari. Now, the claim that you know that is attached to it, the claim is false. You do not own a Ferrari, uh, but you're not going to tell them that, and you're going to try and get them to come up with the best possible way that they could verify that you do own the, the Ferrari. And the best possible way would be to show a bill of sale or a title or, or something, something with your, you know, your name, the registration, all that stuff. Um, but it'd be interesting, I thought, if you could do something like just present simpler pieces of evidence that not, might not necessarily be proof that you own the car, but maybe convincing enough to the person that you're engaging with, the IL, I guess, um, to see if, you know, that reaches their threshold of uh, of, uh, of validity. You know, oh, you saw it in my driveway, or uh, you know, we took a ride around the block, or something like that. Yeah, I like that. And and I went out and I I did it a couple times. And I have two videos where I where I did that. The first time I did it, well, I have the clip here. It's like two minutes long. Uh, I didn't use the word Ferrari. I used another expensive car. I think I used a Lamborghini in this mm -hmm. one, but I mean the point is still the same. Sacrilege. And I, yeah, I actually have a Lamborghini. I bought a keychain as a prop to take out next uh, with me next time. Um, now this one was interesting because there were two people that that I I proposed this to, and then I went out again and talked to one person and used the Ferrari example. So both of those videos are on my channel. I was going to um, say there might. I, I've been thinking of a way to enhance this experiment even further. 
Uh, and again, this goes to um, uh, understanding the role that emotion plays in in belief. Um, so I was thinking, you know, if say you were to go and approach someone, you make the claim, I own a Ferrari, you get their confidence. And with one person, you present the different evidences uh, in a very sort of bland and mundane way. So you say, uh, what if I took out the key? Would that change your confidence? Uh, what if we went to my house, it was in the driveway? Would that change your evidence? What if we took a ride around the block? Would that change your, would that change your, uh, your confidence, et cetera? And just sort of present it to them in that manner and see what it takes for them to, uh, to get at the ultimate piece of evidence, which is the, you know, the title. With a different person, I would want to maybe experiment by using more emotive language. So saying, um, you know, what if I pulled out the key and on that key was the, the beautiful emblem of a Ferrari, of the stallion on its back legs, you know, and painting a really vivid picture for them. And they say, oh, you know, maybe that might be enough. We'll say, well, what if we, what if I took you out to the parking lot here? I press the button, beep, beep. And the automatic start kicked in on the car. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And I lifted up the door and you looked inside, you saw this beautiful black leather interior, the digital gauges just beaming with light on the dashboard. The stick shift has the let has the emblem on it. And we sat down in that car and we decided to go for a ride. So you're, again, you're being very emotional about it. You're, you're presenting it to them in a very emotional way. And then you go and you say, let's take a ride in that. What if we took a ride in that car the doors close behind us and I step on the gas. And as the, as the Evan engine revs and we go down the road, the force of the car pushes you back into the seat and you're just like in complete awe. And as pe we drive by people, people are staring at you thinking about how jealous they are that they are in the car that you are in. I'd be curious if you were to like stop right there where they'd be like, okay, yeah, I think you own the Ferrari then, you know, it, it could happen. As opposed to just being very bland, bland and mundane about that's, presenting that evidence. Kind of, that's kind of interesting. I did have one person, this happened, was it this week? He, I told him that I'm going to do an experiment and, and, and make a claim that I own a Ferrari. And I'd like to get a sense of how sure you are that I, that I own one. And he said, oh, yeah, I, I believe it. I was like, yeah, just, just because I tell you that I owned one? He's like, yeah. Um, I, I'd like to, I, I put a lot of confidence in everybody and I think everybody's worth, and he just went on this whole, like, mm. you know, how I don't want to offend you by, by pr judging you by your appearance that you're not capable of owning a Ferrari. So it was, it was a little bit of like, whoa, okay. That was interesting. I wasn't quite it's expecting that. But this, this example, maybe, I don't know if you guys want to play it or not. Um, it's about two minutes long. It's very short. And sure. I, I go through that with these two people. Let me do that. Jump over here. Mm -hmm. And as I play this, um, give me a thumbs up to let me know that you guys can hear it. You're 70% confident that God is. I'm sure there's like, I'd have like, I guess not proof, but like there's like evidence towards it, I guess. All the religions, all that stuff, but there's still question as whether to like it's. How do being, we know? How do we? Yeah. How do people on Earth know that it's? Yeah. Because obviously we can't just like go up there and be like, "Hey, is all this true?" And then... yeah, you have no idea until. Yeah. The end, I guess. You know, I heard this really good example. I wanted to try to use it today, where 
if I told you that I owned a Lamborghini, would you believe me if I just told you? To an extent, I mean... Yeah, maybe if you gave me, like, enough details about it. If I pulled out a keychain with a Lamborghini symbol on it, and there was a key on it... I'd would, believe it. Would that be enough to convince you that I own a Lamborghini? Yeah, I probably would, would believe it. Yeah, that's good evidence. Would you be 100% sure that I own a Lamborghini? No, because anyone can buy a keychain. Right. Let's say that you just humored me. We walked out to the parking lot, and I, sh I pointed to a Lamborghini in the parking lot. Unlock it. He'd <laughs> <laughs> yeah. want some evidence. Yeah. Okay. Let's say that we walked out there, and I was able to unlock that Lamborghini. Beep, beep. Right? Uh-huh. Would you believe it 100% that I... Own the Lamborghini. I think I would. At that point, you would. Yeah, unless you stole it. But otherwise, I think. I think I would believe it. Yeah, it was yours. Okay. So even if we hopped it and or drove around, would it? Would you still be a hundred percent sure that it was mine? Uh, I'd be more sure, but like you're still a little bit like. If this dude just stole Lamborghini, like, why is he <laughs> at a car? My my rich brother maybe came in and I borrowed his car or something yeah, like that. Like... Okay. Okay. Back to the whole God thing. There was that it. Was that yeah, it? it just stopped all of a sudden. I don't know why. I think that was it. It, it, it. You said back to the God thing. Oh, okay. That's the end then. Yeah. Okay. That's where I ended it. Cliffhanger. You have to check out the video. We'll put a link on <laughs> for it. Okay. Usually, it just stops playing and I get like a blank screen. So. Uh, yeah, that was cool um, using it with them, and they seemed to be having fun. Like they were smiling, they were laughing, they were at ease. It wasn't attacking their identity, and I think uh, they were enjoying it. But there's a limit to how long you can play you can play along on that topic before they start to get a little antsy. That's kind of one thing that I've noticed is that you can't just do ten minutes of that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really helpful, and I, the spin that I did on it is that. I didn't just do it to see, I didn't do it to get a sense of um, like what you were saying, Pete. I was more looking at how can we, how can we use this to establish a baseline of how they're viewing evidence, how they're viewing claims, how they, how they might weight their confidence. Because after we, we walked through the whole thing about the car, then I want to shift back to the belief that they had already picked, which was, in this case, it was the God belief. Um, so actually, one thing that I was wondering about, though, is, and I'm kind of curious what you guys think. If all I did for the next year was go out and conduct the Ferrari example or the Lamborghini example or whatever, and that's all I uploaded for the next year, do you think that there would be people who don't like what street epistemology uh, proponents are doing that would still have a complaint against this. Well, if that's do, like do all people... we've done, yeah, if that's all the Very videos that have, that have been uploaded and that's like all SE represented so far, then I don't think anybody would have a problem with that at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets around the whole SE promotes atheism argument that some people have because um, you're just you're purely just engaging people's critical thinking abilities um, and just you know testing you know, testing those ability, abilities um, you're not but promoting, I, 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 there seems to be so many so, so so much little nitpicking 
about what we're doing. And I just can't help but wonder if if somebody would look at that and say, well, you're priming them to value evidence more than they might normally be or you know, be doing or something like that. I don't know. It's oh, one, one thought that went through. But the kind of person who would find that video these videos and like be that nitpicky, I don't think they would find the videos in the first place because they wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about, you know, God or whatever. Also, if their complaint is that you're priming people to value evidence more than they normally would, I, I would take that as a compliment. Because <laughs> isn't, isn't that what we're trying to do? Is to you know get them to see the evidence for what it what it is. Um, yeah. I would just respond like that's exactly what we're doing. Find something wrong with that. I really like this, and and I like how easy it is, and you can use it to calibrate where a person is at in terms of their value of evidence and the value of truth and their their skepticism like that one guy that i mentioned he seemed fairly gullible he he, he seemed willing to believe anything that i told him and that's helpful to know before we even get into what deeply held belief we want, we want to to explore so this this is great i love it i think it will also which what it will really reveal in a very clear way i think is just the spectrum of of of, um, of belief out there is that you have people that you can just say it right away and they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Cool. Take me for a ride. You know? And then there are people who will be like 90% and people who are like the 5%, like the woman that you um, who was reading uh, CS Lewis. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the, uh, to me, that's probably one of the more interesting things is just seeing the spectrum of belief or levels of belief that people have out there uh, and how that relates to the real world. I would, I would, I would suggest that it also uh, very clearly reveals a person's uh, uh, skill level at critical thinking and it mm -hmm. reveals how they're, thinking very clearly uh much more so than it seems to be with with the god belief and i don't know why that is but that you can see very clearly it, are they just li literally jumping to 100 percent? are they walking little bits at a time uh that other woman you had a chat with anthony i noticed she seemed to insist on going all the way from zero to a hundred it, it didn't seem to be natural for her to be somewhere in the middle at all and it was just mm -hmm. odd watching her flip back and forth. You're talking about the talk that I had with Cindy. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I really like this. Yeah, I, I like this example because you can conduct it in two minutes, tuck it away, and then you can have a 30-minute chat about God or karma or politics or whatever. And then you can just say, oh, hey, remember when we were talking about that expensive car and this dilemma that we had and how we figured things out? How can we apply that same thinking to what to this topic? And it could just be a, such a useful vehicle, if you pardon the pun. It's kind yeah, of I think a, a built-in analogy, you know, right there, ready. Yeah, I would. Um, I was trying to see if I could poke some holes in this, though. And if you're getting someone who's like a really, you know, devout believer, philosophically, they've sort of squared all their circles on their belief or whatever. They. Um, they could say, oh, well, the Ferrari experiment is different because it was different from the God belief because the Ferrari experiment is material. Uh, the God mm -hmm. belief that's, that's, that deals with the immaterial world has totally different rules that that, that goes by. 
Yeah, and I can totally I can totally hear this one woman who I run into all the time say, "Well, honey, Jesus will provide. You want that Ferrari? Get you that Ferrari." And just completely miss miss the the thought experiment. Yeah. And there are, I think, philosophical ways that you can sort of work around that. But for an SE conversation, I don't know if it's it's really worth the time or the energy. Yeah. What's next on our docket, Reed? Um, let me see. Did the mysterious Ferrari? We want to do this SE versus fake news. Uh, I think you have another clip, Anthony. We have because we have time for that. Oh yeah, this one I think. Well, I, I pulled this clip after seeing it. Uh, Kyle Kalinsky has a show called Secular Talk. I highly recommend it. And he was playing this clip. It's between Tucker Carlson and a guy. What's his name? He's he's kind of like a he kind of reminds me of like a, a an up and coming Bill Nye. And he was on Tucker Carlson's show. His name is Josh Fox. And uh, this this clip's about three minutes long. But I, the reason I selected this clip is I thought it would be a good example to break down to talk about the things that that the climate change proponent where he dropped the ball, where I think he could have done a better job. Uh, there's probably some good things in there too, but I'm thinking that maybe I just play this in full and then we can talk about it. Sure. Let me cue it up here. Give me one second. Here we go. So in case you're keeping track at home, low temperatures are proof of global warming. So are high temperatures, heat waves. Also, hurricanes are, but droughts are too. So hot or cold, wet or dry, all of it is proof that human activity is making the climate hotter. The question is, is there any weather phenomenon that doesn't prove global warming? Josh Fox follows us carefully. He's a documentary director and environmental activist. And he joins us. Josh, thanks for coming on. Tucker, it's great to be on again with you. Thank you. You said everything that you just said was true. That was amazing. You, you well, had like I'm, a look, whole I'm run a, there. Look, let me just say at the outset, right. I'm, I'm not here to debate you. I, I don't really know what my position is. I'm open-minded because I believe in science, and I think that okay. evidence ought to lead to conclusion, not the other way well, that's, around. That's but miraculous. I, but, I'm, but why wouldn't I be a little bit confused if people say that hot temperatures are the are a sign of global warming now they're saying cold temperatures are wet conditions are but also dry conditions how can that all be true again you're not really stating it correctly i think what people are saying about the bomb cyclone is it is a similar weather event to a hurricane which is true what climate change does as a result of warming is it increases the extreme weather events right extreme cold, extreme, hot. But in this case, we're talking about extreme storms, right? Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Harvey. These were unprecedented and incredibly disastrous events in terms of the climate. And this bomb cyclone is very similar. Now, in the scientific wait, terms- Wait, wait, wait hold on, wait, just to stop. And, and I just wanna make sure I have this right. And I wanna make it clear, you're not a scientist, so be sure not to patronize me. Just give me a straight answer. I was told for the last 15 years that global warming, its main result was higher temperatures. So can you see well, why we are confused? seeing, okay, we are seeing, seeing high. higher temperatures? So, but yeah. if this turns out to be an unusually cold year, and it looks like it may, how no, can that it's also cold be? In New York. It's cold in New York. You're in New York. I'm in Louisiana. And in fact, yesterday I was in St. Thomas where it was 80 degrees. And that's the point. The hurricanes and the cyclones start 
with a warming Atlantic. When the Atlantic Ocean is warmer, it evaporates more air into the more water into the air. When right. you have more water in the air, more water comes down. So you saw this huge deluge with, with Harvey. You saw all of this wind and rain with Irma and Maria. And now you're seeing huge amounts of snow but, because of uh, the warming the warming temperature in the Caribbean. Wait, but I'm right? confused. You know okay, so we're seeing a lot of snow, Florida, right? We know that, right? But it was Tucker? just. I'm not sure what we know. I'm explaining was, to you the science. Now you asked me about science, right? So I'm explaining well, I'm not, to you the science. I don't science. know how much you know about science. I, uh, and I know that I don't know much so about science. I have science. a map right here of the whole world temperatures, right? Now you'll okay. see the blue right there. That's North America. That means it's colder than average. But if you look at the rest of the planet, it's warmer than average. That means when you talk about global warming, you look at the entire globe. Okay, not just I get New York it. City. I, when I it's get like, it. Oh, you can say, oh, I live in New York City, so oh, wait, it's colder than New York City. That's not an argument. Okay. Uh, not exactly yeah, was, SC, was, is it? Pretty, pretty, uh, yeah, much different. Pretty different. Um, I understand the venue is a lot different than what you might see redo or myself or, you know, anyone that's engaging at SE. Like this is you know, a very hostile, I mean, host, I guess, to that topic. So I think the guy, I think Josh Fox probably had an uphill battle to climb a little bit. But yeah, I kind of get, I would like to get your impression uh, as far as what you thought about that. Sounds like most scientific debates with uh lay people uh not to sound elitist <laughs> at all but um you know there's you know there's, there's foundational information, there's foundational information. Got a really bad echo got a really bad echo close that is it me i think that's better i think that's better nope okay definitely not nope definitely not <laughs> i'll try and go with it and uh, i'll try and go if i slow down, down it's because if i slow down it's because i'm it's playing tricks on my brain. It's playing tricks on my brain. Um, uh, when you're covering scientific material, scientific material, material especially stuff that has some level of uh, uh, perceived controversy around it, like uh, climate change or vaccinations or stuff like that, when you're communicating with people who don't understand it, they have an established perception of what they think should be happening and based on just communicating with their peers, what their peers think, opinions from others or whatever. They're not typically consulting experts on the subject all the time. So they, they have an opinion that's primarily formed on intuition. So, oh, temperatures are getting warmer. Why is it not, you know, it should be the warmer, you know, a warmer winter, not a colder winter, et cetera. Um, and people who are not, skilled in scientific thinking or know how the scientific method works or has even been through the process of, of the exercise of the scientific method, um, they, they don't realize how common it is for intuition to just be flat out incorrect. Intuition is not a reliable way to coming to understand truth because if we did that, we would believe things that are actually the complete opposite of, of what reality is many times. many times. The thing, though, that struck me about this discussion, though, was, and I, I can hear my own voice through your speakers now, so you're probably still getting an echo. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you are. But the guy struck me, the, the scientist, struck me as rather condescending to Tucker Carlson, like right from the very get-go. 
Now I don't know if, if they've they've have they have a history, and he felt like he needed to get back at at Carlson, but it seemed like right from the start that he was being rather dismissive and condescending to Tucker, rather than saying, "Yeah, that's a common misunderstanding. Let me explain to you what's really happening here." Like I, I just don't understand why he was why he wasn't more cordial to the host. Because I think he would have gotten a lot a lot further with his message if he was just nicer. I, I agree. I, I agree. Um, echo. Um, echo. Um, I, I agree, but I also think that he um, it's a cable news show. He knows he probably knows Tucker's position ahead of time. And he knows that Tucker is probably not coming into this to want to engage in a civil debate or discussion on what how climate change works, what it really is. Tucker probably has his his conservative view, which is based on his politics and his view of economics, et cetera. So I don't know in that situation, maybe in other situations, coming at it as with a nice guy hat on and and uh, and a more cordial uh, approach uh, could have a better response. But in this instance, I'm not too sure of that. Yeah, and I think in the science guy had a missed a big opportunity to talk about models because I think Tucker Carlson began with like saying, you know, no matter what we see, hot, dry, wet, or cold, um, there's no way to know if the model is working. It seems to be unfalsifiable. I think that's what he's trying to say. So, and he was saying like, if if we're trying to expect hotter temperatures, you know, always. And uh, and that's not what we're seeing. Then I guess the model's wrong, and and climate and global warming is wrong. But that that's yeah. not what the model. I think you should explain what the models predict, and uh, maybe go go from there. And yeah, I, think, I was gonna say I think Tucker's line of questioning was good. Where where's the falsifiability to this claim? If everything is global warming, then why should we believe it? We we even use similar questions when we're using SE. So I, as much as I despise Tucker Carlson, um, I, I really think that he was approaching the conversation from a good point. Like he really had some good questions and I just wish the other guy had done a better job of, um, of explaining it and giving Tucker the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, I do recognize the venue and you only have two or three minutes to get your point across. And Tucker, if you do start making a good point, the host might start shutting you down. A simple take, I guess, in that sort of discussion, too, what I don't see happen enough is just people just stopping and saying, well, can you explain to me the definite, the difference between weather and climate? I think that the, the, the activist could have just asked that question to Tucker to kind of gauge, you know, to, uh, where he is on, on, the, on the, you know, the knowledge scale as far as climate change goes. That would be good, but just do it in a way like where you're not insulting the guy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that SE could be used to improve science communication? Have you ever tried to view SE from that perspective since you since you have a science background? Yeah, it's um, it's it's really tough. In the it all goes back to this emotion thing because a lot of the uh, scientific topics that we want to communicate to people um, have such huge implications. And we come at it from you, you know, this 
could be the end of our species. You have to understand this, you know, or you, you're going to kill millions of kids if you don't get them vaccinated. Or you could, and uh, from the beginning, it's, it's very hard for the scientists to separate the, the magnitude of the topic and the emotions surrounding that um, uh, in a way that the person would be willing to drop their their guard and their defenses and engage in sort of like a, norm, a normal conversation where, they, where they'd be willing to learn or, or try, have a genuine desire to want to understand what why things are the way they are, what, why this topic's important. So it, it's difficult, um, but I think it can be done. It's gonna. It, it takes. It's gonna take some some practice on on both the scientists uh, on the scientist side uh, of things for sure. Yeah, and modeling that for other scientists who are watching exchanges like that, I think would be important. I think one. Um, I had tried doing this on Blab. Uh, one way is to um, make scientists appear more human. So to make. Uh, non-scientists view scientists as just everyday people who go to work. This is what they do for their job. Um, and then by building that sort of rapport with individuals, um, they can, they're more relatable. They see them as themselves in many respects, and they have a genuine interest or become more open-minded to hearing what the person has to say. And that brings down the tone of the, com of the conversation dramatically, I think. Uh, because if I, you know, if you just learn that, you know, scientist Joe out there likes to work on his car in his free time and enjoys a good IPA and, you know, has two kids that, you know, are running around and driving him crazy all the time, you know, before he goes to work and starts studying, you know, uh, hydrocarbons or, you know, whatever, CRISPR, or you, you, you name it. Then the person's gonna be like, oh, all right. So he's like me, yeah, sure. So like, so what is it that you work on in the lab? And then it, the, the the tension drops dramatically, and then you're able to start. Well, you know, I work with this thing, and you know, it, it looks like the and you and you automatically start describing things in a way that are more understandable for the person too. I like that. All right. Your mic is really muffled to me all of a sudden. Yeah, I didn't hear what you said, Dorit. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yep, that's much better. Cool. Yeah, yeah let's just move on to some listener questions. Listener um, questions. Can do like a lightning round and blast through these, or what do you want to do? Sure. Um, there's one that I think is interesting. Do like SEOs fake niceness, since that's what we... That's what we come across as is like nice. It's like part of the method is being cordial or being you know nice and friendly. Do you, do you, some people might say we're trying to fake that because we have different beliefs and we're just trying to manipulate people in some way. That's kind of, kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I mean, uh, no, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I really don't fake it. But if somebody says. One thing that I've noticed is that if somebody says, uh, you know, my, my grandmother's was really sick and she passed away and, and the last, her last dying wish for was for me to find Jesus. And lo and behold, I found Jesus. And I say something like, well, I'm really sorry for your loss. Well, I don't really know the person. And if you really ask me, like, do I really feel 
I have no no emotional investment in in this person. So I do say things that, you know, I guess you could say I'm faking it there. But um, I mean, I do have some sympathy for them, but it's not like it was my my aunt that passed away. It's not like a close thing. So so I think there's there are some pleasantries that we just say naturally that everybody does. Um, that that's a tough one, honestly. Um, because yeah, maybe there are some times where I'm not I'm not really. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not in a good mood that day, and something bad personally happened to me. But I try to set that aside for the benefit of a good conversation because it's been a while since I've uploaded a video, and I want to have some examples. But I mean, we, we try to say it again and again. Try to just be yourself. I don't know. And I, try to be as open as you can. That seems hard to envision fake being fake nice during SE. I'm trying to look because that means that you have some sort of like underlying animosity like uh, laying there. I'm just not that good of an actor. Yeah, I just um, don't. It just seems weird. That's exactly the charge. That, that's exactly the charge that you're pretending to be nice because you really are just trying to manipulate someone into. Usually, what I hear, turning them into an atheist. Yeah, that's that's a real tough that's one true. because, I mean, it, declaring that no, I'm just really a nice guy, and I'm just I'm just being the nicest person that I can can be out there, is not going to be convincing to the person who's lodging that charge. Um, so I'm not even sort of bothering saying that, even though that's probably the answer that I might give. I don't think it, many people would find that convincing if you if you thought that there was you know, some some deception going on there. So but it, but I guess I'm trying to go a little bit deeper and saying, yeah, I mean, there there are times where I'm just not in the mood, or or maybe I just I just it's one of those people that I, they just rub me the wrong way. But I'm trying to be cordial for for the benefit of just trying to be a nice human being. So, but yeah, if if you were to like hold my feet to the fire, I might say, yeah, I'm just not really liking that person, but I am being nice. But it seems like they would always say you're you're pretending to be nice when you are essaying them about faith claims. Uh, Could they say that if you were just doing the Ferrari experiment? Like, how dare you pretend to be nice and ask me if I believe in a Ferrari? That's <laughs> well, that, that, that's kind of what I was getting at with my question is, is, could somebody still find a fault in what we're doing, people that are nitpicky? And I think this is one of those nitpicky questions. Um, Frankly, for myself, when I go out there, I'm going out there because I do genuinely enjoy talking to people. It's not really in my comfort zone to do that. Uh, I have to push myself to go out and talk to strangers. And it's taken me a while to get to the point where I am somewhat comfortable doing it. I'm still not there quite all the way. Um, I, I'm, I feel like I'm just kind of a nice person in general. And I feel like as I've gotten older, as I become more financially stable, as I become more sure about my beliefs and the, to the tools that I use to question reality, I, I find myself becoming like, I don't know, more, 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 more confident in myself and more empathetic towards other people. So I really don't think that I'm faking it um, for, for the benefit of like improving a conversation. I really don't think that I'm doing that, but I don't think my saying that I'm not doing it would be convincing to somebody who's lodging that charge. Gotcha. What about using like euphemisms for words? Like we're saying people are mistaken 
and like I know Bogosian has no qualms about saying delusions and stuff, and like mm. and he's he's very he's he's an advocate of like blunt speech at least in the book, and his interviews and and stuff. But I think like going with the backwire effect, that kind of, that stuff might not be the best idea. Is is that what we've kind of figured out over these past few years? Okay, so yeah, I, I try to avoid words that might trigger people because I don't want to upset them and I don't want to jeopardize a talk. Now, what the weighting of those is, it might probably varies from person to person. There might be people that say, I, I want to avoid saying you're wrong and I'm going to try to say you're mistaken because I really want to make sure that they like me so that I can get them to open up and and uh, really be open to investigating their beliefs. And other people might be like, yeah, that, that's not really so much important to me. It's more important for me to, to uh, not upset people. And I just, I, I just don't want to give people the wrong impression that I'm, that I'm judging them or something like that. So it's going to vary from person to person. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's not a, it's not a black and white type of thing. One thing, it's a uh, great question. One thing you do read in your videos that I think is interesting is you always say, you know, this is not, you know, I'm not saying this is the case, but uh, yeah. you know, um, I think that's a, that's an interesting way of kind of getting around the, you know, you're mistaken or, or something like that. Yeah. That's definitely a way to lessen as much as I can, the impact of those types of questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it fair to say that blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think what you're saying is this. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a, a good definition of what nice is probably would be helpful here too. Mm -hmm. It's it's a good question. I, I think it could probably be answered differently by a number of different people. And that ties into a different question about like what exactly is SE? Is it what Peter Bogosian says? Is it just what Peter Bogosian says, or is it what you say, Anthony, or who decides? I think I think it's evolved over these past few years. Like the book came out in 2013, five years ago. Like we've been doing this for a long time, and we're mm -hmm. we're changing things up, and we're seeing what works and what doesn't. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and I think we will look back in another five years, and it will be drastically different when we have examples like Pete's Ferrari example or. Um, the literature suggesting that people's beliefs may be more um, tied to them wanting to belong in a community as opposed to them actually thinking that it's true or that type of thing and, and afraid of the repercussions of abandoning a belief. So I, th I think I think as long as we hitch SE's wagon to the science, then we're going to be okay. We just need to keep going where the science takes us. Yeah. Yeah. And try to do it as empathetically and as sincerely as possible. Yes, the science and yes, just seeing what works. Sorry, Echo. Just seeing what happens when we do it, and like what techniques work uh, in the real world. Because even if science does try to study this, um, it's going to be very hard to extrapolate it to what we do in real world, like conversations. These are real conversations and any theory that science produces is going to have to explain these observations that we're collecting. Yeah, I mean, interesting. You, you can use SE like a clinical trial 
in many ways. If you have sort of a protocol uh, of, of, of your format of questioning and you just go out there and do a large sample size of individuals and record their responses, you might be able to find patterns in there that, uh, uh, that you, you, you may not have seen before. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think I'd be a little sad if SE stayed the same and, and just was a static proclamation for up on high. This isn't the Bible. This isn't the Quran. Uh, one guy wrote one book and encouraged people to read it and to take it into exciting new directions, which is exactly what we're doing. And even went so far as to write a blog post to suggest that this method is open source. I was sitting in the room with him when he penned that blog post, um, which is really neat to be to be able to witness. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, if we want this this approach to evolve and to grow and to get better, then we need to follow the science and we need we need to experiment and we need to encourage other people. We need to encourage believers to start using this method too, as as we've been trying to do, and and we have that private um, Facebook group called Learn Street Epistemology, which is a really good place. And we need people from all different types of demographics to take this up too. Yeah. And we'd like to tackle other topics as well. Another question is about how do we use SE in regards to politics? Um, like, look, we do a little bit of that, but I think there's more potential for SE to tackle political issues. Yeah, I was thinking about this today because there was a really good write-up on SE in, in a, a, an online, uh, it's sort of an NPR-related online thing called Massive Psy. I don't know if you heard it, Pete, but um, they're promoting it and they're they're positioning it as a potential tool for investigating not only supernatural claims but political claims. And you know, we may be able to cover cover just as much ground as we have in five years in one year if we completely shifted gears and focused on political claims, because there seems to be so much gridlock, so many problems with that topic. And that could really promote SE far beyond where we are today. So like I, I mentioned this in my talk to, I did a, a Dragon Con talk back in September of, of 2017, advising or suggesting people to, to take SE into the political realm. It's a wonderful open market and it would be really great if people started having those types of talks. So yeah, I, I would encourage people to to move SE in that direction, if possible. I think that uh, with politics, though, it, it's almost just as subjective as faith is too. So uh, I would I would predict maybe that you would just you would get a lot of the same responses that you would get if you were investigating faith claims. My hypothesis is that. Just as many, just as people who believe in supernatural stuff eventually come to faith, the political questions would come down to sources. I read this article. I've been watching this channel. I've been following this guy on Twitter. And that's kind of my, that's my guess. But I don't know because I haven't had many talks like that. Yeah, my guess is since it's so tribe, it's so polarized. And we just see each other as again different tribes, liberals and conservatives. It's going to be like a, a practice in just empathy, and like trying to get some shared uh, commonality together, and just we're trying to figure out how to feel a sense of unity, like we're we're Americans or we're citizens, both trying to reach a goal 
and what kind of way to get there together. Um, that's like, that's kind of how I would try and do it for myself. So I think, that would be good. Try. I think that would be good. I also think we need to kind of speak in the other person's language. So like in that example with the science guy, the, the climate change guy, it, it may have been more effective if he was speaking in terms, speaking in the language that right wingers speak in, things that are important to them, security, loyalty, patriotism. Um, and I've heard this elsewhere, so this isn't my idea, but you know, potentially presenting this idea of global change in terms of the things that are important to people who are conservative and saying, do you really want refugees from the Middle East flowing into our country if it becomes too hot? Would, would that be a study that you'd want to really look into to see if this really is a thing? Because if it is, you know, we may be really in a world of trouble with all sorts of illegal aliens coming into our country and taking all of our jobs. So, so maybe just reframing it in terms of, of, of in a way that uh, tickles the thing that the uh, the the opposition finds important. Yeah, and I think. Can you read? Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Jonathan Haidt's moral foundations theory is going to help a lot with political conversations. The, the six different moral foundations and conservatives seem to or at least very uh, conservative people seem to favor the groupish moral foundations like loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Um, fairness uh, is pretty much uh, something everybody uses. Uh, care harm is like mostly liberals. And there's also liberty as well with libertarians. So stuff like that, I think, would be very interesting to keep an eye on as well. How many more questions do we have? I'm just curious. Um, pretty much all the live ones we uh, we talked about. Um, oh, I think Doug wanted to talk about any advice for having Facebook or you know text-based SE conversations. I completely avoid that. I don't think it's. I I, I want to try a little bit this year to figure out how to do this, but so far I'm just I've very little uh very little trust in that yeah my, my advice would be facebook is good for finding people to talk to and then once you found them move into a private venue like a, a facebook messenger chat like a two uh, you know one-on-one -on -one type of thing or video chat or if you can meet in person even better but having a discussion out in the open it, it's so hard for other people on the sidelines to stay quiet and not throw you off yeah and I wish the Facebook groups had a feature where you just restrict it to two people and only people could view it. Because even with the chat with SE group, it's like the conversations were okay. But I think there's got to be better ways to do this on text. It's so hard. How about a heavily yeah, modded uh, group where uh, people go on, they have a conversation, but it's only two people and and moderators just uh, brutally delete any other comments that are made. Yeah, I don't know if you can block a person from a thread. That would be a neat feature to have. Block block all from thread and then you allow two people in or something. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. 
possibly. What else we got? Mm -hmm. um, a bunch of prepared questions, but I haven't really looked at them. Is there anything that pops out to you? Let me jump over there. Let's see here. Got a list of questions in our Google Doc from past streams. Yeah. And if you feel like asking any more questions in the chat, we'll try to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it looks like these, some of these are old questions too. What information is on the card? Did we do that one? That's a good one, I guess. What information is on the cards that you hand to people and why don't you give more information on them? Oh, and uh, Joe, I think I copied and pasted a couple of topics in the uh, in the Facebook Messenger thread too. I don't I don't see them in here. They might be. They're in a different um, file. So the, they're in a different file. Okay. Uh, what information is on the cards that you hand people, and why don't you give more information on them? So that's a good one. I really like that question. Uh, I I just have my, my email address that I've created. It might be even in the prefix of the email um, or the domain name. But uh, yeah, okay, so a couple of reasons. I don't necessarily want the person that I've, that I've spoken to to find their video immediately. So, I, I mean, there's a chance that I can upload a video that, let's say I have a conversation today, I upload their video tomorrow, and then I run into them on Monday. That can, and they, and they see it. That can make the secondary conversation more difficult, I think, especially if they've read YouTube comments, yelling and just discussing how stupid they were or something like that. So I like to have a little bit, I like to make it a little bit more challenging for a person to find their video. And one way to do it is to just email me and say, hey, by the way, I, I don't see your YouTube channel on here. What is it? And then I'll give it to them. So that's one of the reasons. Uh, I kind of want to have a little bit of control over when the person finds it. I don't, in the long run, I don't care if they find it. In fact, I'm kind of curious what goes through their mind when they see their own video and watch it. I think that would be really interesting. And we know of one person that's done that. That's Daniel. He's not here today. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, although I should say now that we have the new logo, I'm considering a redesign. And I think at the very least, I'm going to put my first name on it. So that they have that and i'll probably still leave the back of it blank for note taking do people how often do people reach out to you by email after you've spoken with them yeah i'm not tracking it so i'd say probably one out of ten times it's still pretty good do you have a way do, do people contact you read yeah i've got little cards with my email i also put my youtube channel and social media stuff on there too mm -hmm. sometimes i get like instagram tags of like me at the at the table and where people kind of filming themselves from the, or other people filming themselves from the side getting social media that way so i don't see a problem with that there was another question here how did you find teaching Aaron Ra se did he like it did you enjoy teaching him well, i definitely enjoyed going out with Aaron Ra and and showing him street epistemology and talking about it. Uh, it was a great experience for me. I mean, I can't speak for him, but I think he enjoyed it. He and I had become friends since then. And he recently had a discussion with a flat earther and he seemed a lot more calm and patient. 
and he tweeted at me that somebody who watched that discussion said that Anthony was rubbing off on you or something like that. So, and that was a year later after our talk. So I think, I think it was a good experience for, for him. I would love to do SE with him again or, or join him on, on one of his broadcasts or bring him on here. That was one of my ideas was uh, maybe taking a clip from his experience with that flat earther and playing it just like we did those last two clips with Arn here on the show. And then talking about what was going through his mind, was he tempted to lash out at that person? Does he think that there was a better question to have asked at that point? You know, kind of getting getting his insight on that. Yeah, I saw yeah, a bit of I that story. And I heard a lot of him, you know, trying to explain facts to the flat earther. And mm. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more, you know, you know, how based questions, you know, because it seems like giving facts to a flat earther if yeah. we're at that point, you know. Right. And SE you know. is so much more than being polite. I think it's useful. I think it's helpful. Like we were talking about before, are you faking being polite to be, you know, to be more effective? Um, it's about asking good questions. I think you can still be abrasive and still ask a good probing question if if that's more in your nature. I, I, I just don't feel comfortable being aggressive. I want to be the same person that you hear on camera is the same person that I'm here at my house with my family. And it's the same person if we were to meet in public. Um, I don't have time to carry on multiple multiple personas and, and try to fake being nice or anything like that. So... Um, where was I going with that? I don't know what we were talking about. I completely lost, lost my train of thought. Oh, the flat earther. Oh, yeah. Arnra. I don't even remember where I was going with that. But yeah, okay, you were talking about how he was being pleasant and respectful, but he was still asking, he was still telling, he was still teaching the guy. Yeah. Let me educate you, facts, son. Yeah, let me educate you on how mistaken you are and and that type of thing. So but he was doing it in a polite way from the little bit that I watched. I didn't watch the whole thing. I tuned in and the audio was bad on one of them and that type of thing. But, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential. I think there's a lot of potential for Aaron and lots of other people who inter uh, interact with claimants with believers all the time. And I think, I think he realizes that it could be a useful tool. I think he just needs a little bit of more exposure to it. And I, and I'm, I'm hopeful that there might be more opportunities to do so with him. Cool. All right. I think that's good enough for today. Unless you, there's anything else you want to chat about? Mm, I don't know. I think that's it. This was a good show. Um, covered a lot of ground. Uh, announcements. Yeah. Pete, okay, you, about, you know, Anthony's upcoming talk, right? Also. And this other one, that public yet? Big one coming up. I can't talk about just yet. But uh, Oslo, Norway in two weeks. It should be recorded. And I will be tweeting from Oslo and sending some pictures. Cool. And yeah, we also talked about creating a street epistemology org. That should be fun. And then, uh, so yeah, just to plug our social media again, read Nice Wonder at Cordial Curiosity on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And what about you, Pete? Uh, at Science Peter at, on Twitter and uh, get your flu shot. It's an exceptionally bad flu season this year. A number of deaths already, so I highly encourage if you haven't, uh, get your flu shot, even if it does provide a little bit of protection 
could mean life or death. Hmm. Do you know Don't when the new shot? When did the new flu shot come out? Because I thought uh, yeah. it's been out. I think since the fall, summer fall. Okay, but, I've had mine then, and our kids have too. And also, if you uh, do make se.org, can you have Tom Cruise be on the on the front page as the sponsor of <laughs> se.org? We will try our best. Sorry, no. I think we're going to avoid that that name. <laughs> very end. So, all right, great show, guys. Thank you very much, Pete. Thank you for joining us and staying late. Thanks a lot. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.